0: Sales Influence Podcast, where we talk about finding the why and how we buy. I'm your host, Victor Antonio. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for letting me those beautiful ears. And if you're watching me on video, thank you for letting me those eyeballs. Today, I got a sales guru for you. I got a guy. I had to beg. I had to ask repeatedly, like I usually do. But in all honesty, he was so gracious to actually accept my invitation, to be honest, on the first request. Please welcome to the Sales Influence Podcast. Jeff Shore, what's happened?
1: Victor, my friend, good to be with you. Let's have some fun, shall we?
0: Shall we talk sales today? What do you think? Let's Jeff? do that. It's, it's my favorite topic, you know, and yours too. It works out perfectly. So <laughs> Jeff, give them the 411 the on who are you and don't be yeah. modest. I hate, I hate yeah. when speakers come out here and be modest. You're a sales yeah. guy, no modesty, lay it down
1: yeah i'm a sales junkie i just love like sort of like you and right? i like pulling apart the sale and examining the guts and figuring it out and and i sold frontline for many many years i was a national sales director for a very very large uh fortune 500 company last 20 years i've been doing this and uh although my focus has shifted over the years as i know yours has as well to really look at it and say. Not how much do it 's not so much about how do sales people sell it 's about how do people want to buy and how to make it easy for them to do what they want to do anyway so i 've just really gotten off on trying to understand what goes on in the mind of a customer when they 're thinking about making a purchase decision and to me that that topic is limitless right because we 're such complex human beings, but I just find buyers to be really fascinating people, and in fact, it kind of pisses me off when I Hear salespeople who are complaining about all oh, these buyers. Buyers are liars, and I'm like, you know what? They're 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 just people who need a problem solved. But look at it that way.
0: I think so. You recently wrote an article, and I was looking at this morning. Actually, you yeah. put it. It's on LinkedIn, and I think you went through a little buying process. Let's let's start there before we jump yeah. into your book.
1: Yeah. So so you know, for, for me, I, I think every salesperson should start there before they do anything else. You got to ask the question: How does a buyer want to buy? And so. You know, if you if you think of it like if you're a, a physician, right, a, a physician has got all kinds of knowledge, all kinds of tools, all kinds of drugs and techniques and surgeries and everything else, none of them matter until you really get to know who that person is standing in front of you and what their problem, what their pain point is. So I don't know about you, but if I went into a doctor and said my stomach hurts and the doctor said, oh, no problem, I've got some pills for that, take these, you'll be just fine. I am going to go find another doctor. So there is that idea. You, you got to be able to look at it and say, uh, th- this all starts with a buyer centric viewpoint. Who is this person and what problem needs to be solved?
0: So, so Jeff, one of the things I want to know, I I, I wrote this because I didn't want to forget it. Cause I always like to ask people this, you know, what got you, before we jump into the topic heavily, what got you into sales? I mean, what, were, <laughs> what was it was a sales? <laughs> I can
1: tell it's yeah. gonna be good already. Yeah. Well, here's what happened. So, you know, my my initial background was in real estate and we still have a lot of real estate clients, uh, but my initial background was in real estate and and I'm going to it's almost embarrassing, but this is way back when, you know, when I was a kid, I read, I think when I was in high school, I read Erwin Shaw's Rich Man, Poor Man. And I looked at it, I said, this is about, you know, the story revolves around this entrepreneur. And and right about that time I read that, I also read Zig Ziglar's See You at the Top. And I thought between those two books, it really sort of lit the entrepreneurial fire. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to do something that was, that was uh, self-contained and really you know, either I'm going to make it or I'm not going to make it, but I'm not going to put my future in somebody else's hand. So I was watching this late night infomercial. I was in in the restaurant business at the time. I was watching this late night infomercial, and this guy comes comes on talking about how you can get rich by buying real estate using other people's money. And he was just so excited, and event. I was like, "Man, I'm all in on this." And was I that, that was tape. that
0: was that was that Dave Del Dado? It it
1: wasn't, but. It, it doesn't matter because they just change their suits right to hand their suit to somebody else and then once somebody goes to jail somebody else steps in and picks it up I, I honestly I don't even remember the guy's name i know now that most of the things he was saying were either highly impractical or highly illegal but i bought his cassette tapes right that's how long ago so i just bought his cassette tape so i, I started to do this and i was like it, it didn't take me long to figure out no no this is not above board at all but it really got the juices flowing for sales in particular and real estate specifically and so uh, i became a realtor maybe it was it, it was i i took the test i became a realtor and that's where i started my uh sales process i, I didn't really know how that was all going to go what it was all going to be about but as it turns out uh, i just really loved it i mean i took the sales like a fish to water and i was it was a pretty darn good salesperson, if i don't mind saying and then I had the opportunity to coach, which I loved even more. And uh, one thing led to another and here I am.
0: I love it. You know, if you think back about your sales, that transition into the real estate market, I think that's why I first read one of your books. I think it was actually a real estate book I read. Uh, And in, in that process, in that transition, what did you find hard? And I want you to talk to the, I'll call it the introverts or the maybe people who are just starting out in sales. What did you find hard? And then how did you overcome that?
1: Yeah, so that's a really, really good question. And, and an, I think an important question for everybody in sales. And I'm going to couch it this way. When I wrote the book, Be Bold and Win the Sale, which is all about comfort addictions and sales and how we have to overcome our comfort addiction if we're going to be successful in sales, I interviewed a number of top ranking salespeople. And one of them was a gentleman named Alex Tava. He was the number one salesperson for Ferrari in the world at that time. He was selling out of a showroom. on It was in the Wynn Hotel in the Las Vegas Strip on the first floor of the of the Wynn Hotel and I interviewed him and I asked him a very similar question to what you just asked me and he said, one of the problems that I have in selling Ferraris is that my product is too cool. So the number of things that I can talk about as it relates to a Ferrari, right? I can talk about about, uh, body styling and racing history and engine performance and awards that it's won and drivability, I, I can go all day long. The problem is everybody buys a Ferrari for a different reason. So I can very easily talk about what I find to be so cool, finding myself horribly disconnected from my customer. And that's what I found out early on about real estate. I wanted to talk about real estate. I wanted to talk about homes. I wanted to talk about, uh, about uh, just everything you do with real estate. And it, for the customer, it didn't matter. What they knew was that they couldn't effectively live their life in the place they were in right now, and they needed something that was going to solve their problem. They didn't care about so much I that I wanted that. to talk
0: about. I I, I love that because that's that one of these, right? Two planes, two ships in the night just missing Completely. each other. Absolutely. And that's a great example, actually. That's a great visual. By the way, you use the phrase and you toss it around like candy, like it means nothing, but I know it means more. Uh, comfort addiction. Yeah. Come on, go deep on yep. that one.
1: <laughs> well, this started from a personal experience where uh, I was really looking at my own life about uh, this is six or seven years ago now and recognizing, um, and, and, it, and it took a little while to get to this point, but looking at it and recognizing that a lot of the decisions that I was making in my life were based on my desire for comfort. And over time, I said, man, this has all the properties of an addiction. So if I looked at it and I said, you know, just as an example, when you're making decisions, right, Uh, cheeseburgers are comfortable. Broccoli is uncomfortable, right? My, My sofa is comfortable. My elliptical is uncomfortable. And I was making life choices according to not what was best for me, But was what was comfortable for me. And I saw that in myself first. Then I started to look at salespeople. I saw exactly the same thing. So if you look at it, for example, the idea that I can make a phone call or I can send an email, what's the first question that pops into my head? The question is, what's more comfortable? And that's why we send an email rather than making a phone call, because. What we find here, and and when I did the deep dive in the research, it just blew my mind and it was really life-changing for me, not just in my career, but in my personal life as well. But I started to look at it and recognize that the brain's primary job is to keep you alive. Well, the Mm -hmm. problem is the brain has an, an heightened threat sensitivity. So it sees something that is uncomfortable, it interprets it as a threat, and then it sends a message that says, run away go find the easiest way to be able to deal with this. I mean, somebody you're going to want to interview for your show at some point, a guy, he's a UCLA psychologist, his name is Dr. Mark Shaw, and he wrote a book called Your Survival Instinct is Killing You. Phenomenal book. And it speaks to the idea that our brain, thinking it's trying to keep us alive, is actually making us a slave to our own comfort addictions. So I started in my own life first to try to systematically dismantle my own comfort addiction. So, uh, you know, at, at age fifty I'm older now, but at age fifty two, I looked and said, I've been a hockey fan all my ice hockey. I've been a hockey fan all my life. I've always wanted to play, except that I don't know how to skate. Mm. Okay. That's a problem. So what's (laughs) yeah, that is a problem, right? But that was also an excuse. So I looked Mm. at it and I said, people who do know how to skate, they didn't come out of the womb learning how to skate, right? Knowing how to skate. They learned. So I hired a coach teach me to skate i joined this learn to play hockey class now two nights a week i'm a rink red i'm out there playing hockey i'm having the time of my life for something i should have done a long time ago you know i i sitting right over here in the corner of my office right now is a bass guitar started taking lessons about four weeks ago because i've always thought it was a cool instrument and and why not so just systematically to be able to look at it and say how do I make sure I'm not living my life by doing nothing more than following my own discomforts? But certainly in the sales process, and I know you've seen this. Salespeople ask, "What's easy, not what's right."
0: Yeah, I love that. By the way, I played bass. Back do you really? Day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh bass, man, we're gonna to we're gonna <laughs> cover,
1: we'll have to have a conversation about that. I'm having a great time. It's really, really uh, fun.
0: A bass is. I was a Stanley Clark fan. I'm a Victor yeah. fan. That whole thing. So anyway, back to sales. The I, I love that whole comfort addiction because, and I, I love the fact that you gave an example: email versus a phone call. I'll take the email all day, all day. And so, you know, when you're training salespeople, how do you get them out of that? You know, what are some of your? Before we jump into your your new book, sure. You know how do you, how do you get them out of that? Yeah. You know, how do you begin to make them uncomfortable?
1: Well, what was interesting in the research for the book, I was working with a just to understand my own issues and to be able to get to this deeper I was working with a psychologist a guy named Dr I just, I,
0: I just I got to pause here cuz I really sure. like the way I Victor I just first had to work on my issues first it's all about me, <laughs> all about me well, right now Victor
1: <laughs> Well look my I, I'm a big fan of Dan Sullivan the founder of the Strategic Coach program and one of the things that he always says is all change begins by telling the truth yeah. All change begins Amen. by telling the truth. So if you're not willing to be honest with yourself, and I think the lies we tell ourselves are the most dangerous lies of all. Mm-hmm. So if you're not willing to be honest with yourself, you, you can't get anywhere uh, along those lines. So as I was looking at this for myself, I was working with a psychologist and, and I had posed the idea that this has all the properties of an addiction, he agreed with me. And he suggested that the number one treatment for addictions in the United States is something called cognitive behavioral therapy. So then I started to do this dive into cognitive behavioral therapy, about the decisions that we make before we are faced with that moment of discomfort. Because the concept is that every time we are uncomfortable, every moment of discomfort also has a corresponding moment of decision. Every time I'm uncomfortable, I'm going to have a decision to make. And it's the quality of the decisions that we make when our, we are uncomfortable that's really, frankly, going to determine the quality of our lives. So if we can train ourselves to recognize that the comfort addict part of me is going to tell me, run away, right? Just give in to your discomfort. I'll, in fact, I'll even give you a good, juicy rationalization as to why you should do that. If I can train myself for those moments in advance, Then by the time I get to that discomfort, I've already rehearsed it in my head. I already know what I'm going to do. So when it comes time to make the phone call, when it comes time to ask the closing question, when you know a customer is going to complain about your pricing, whatever it happens to be, you can prepare in advance for that moment of discomfort. And you Mm -hmm. can be prepared uh, long before you ever get there. That's the key. Not to wait until you are uncomfortable, but to rehearse that and determine your action before you are uncomfortable.
0: I love that. It's almost like uh, how do you call it? The, the the battle plan before you go into battle? Because in the heat of the battle, it just gets too emotional, and you make the wrong decisions. So, tell me about this wonderful new book you have. I've read it. I loved it. I think I've told you that already. I think I talked about it. But tell us about this new book yeah so you know if
1: you if you go on amazon and you type in sales follow-up you're not going to get a lot of hits a lot of people talk about follow-up there's been great material written in blog posts and articles and all of that but i just hadn't seen anything that really just gave you a one-size-fits-all resource and uh, as i was looking at it as it turns out i had to make some decisions along the way there's a lot of material that's that that's on the cutting room floor you can only put so much into the book but i wanted to be able to have an overview that really addressed it from this perspective how do we make follow-up fun and this follow-up can be in two different ways we could be talking about prospecting follow-up where you first get a lead how do you connect with that customer and stay in the loop until you can make a presentation but then it's also when you've made a presentation the customer says not yet what happens next? So it, it's going to apply both ways. But I think most salespeople look at follow-up and they, they, they find it tedious, they find it laborious, and they find it not very fun. I want to change mm. all that. I want to make this an enjoyable part of the process. I think it can be fun. And frankly, if you're not having fun, you're not, your customers are not having fun anyway. Mm. So if you want them to enjoy it, you got to start with you.
0: So, so the book is called "Follow Up and Close the Sale" that by yeah. Jeff Shore. Follow up and close the sale, and so, I, like I said, I read the book, and I, this is a um, spirit of full disclosure here, Jeff. It's a serious part that Brilliant. you know. I, I got the I got the book. I'm like, oh god, another sales book, mm-hmm. another sales book, right? I'm like, yeah. and then what I hate about sales books, you know, and I read some, is that they're very here's here's what you should do, but not the how you should do it. There's yeah. a what, and there's a how, right? Strategic yeah, versus right. tactical. Mm-hmm. And your your book actually blended them nicely. And there's some real tactical stuff in the book. And I highlighted one of them in my podcast uh, because I was like, this is a great little tactic. And so talk about the structure of the book and, you know, the content that's in there and how it could actually help people.
1: Yeah, well, it really, it's, you're absolutely right. It's here, this is the strategy, here's the execution. And so I want, you gotta do both, right? There's no question about it. And so I start with strategy and move into execution. It really begins by what we were just talking about. It picks up where Be Bold and When the Sale Left Off, talking about comfort addiction. I talk about something called the resistance, that voice in your head that says, you don't wanna make that phone call. You don't wanna, you don't wanna be that guy who's driving customers crazy. And so I talk about how do we how do we fight that resistance? But then like I do with, frankly, anything that I'm talking about, I always start with the customer's perspective, right? So from the customer's perspective, I use the framework of something that I refer to as emotional altitude. And it speaks to the level of positive emotional energy that a customer has, Uh, when dealing with a product, an experience or another person. So if you can think about shopping for a car and that you really love and what's happening, that emotional altitude is rising within you, right? And you're you're feeling all in on that. My wife and I recently uh, purchased a, a dog and it was the same thing. You're shopping for a dog. It's a very emotional purchase and the emotional altitude is very, very high. But if you're in that investigation stage And then you walk away. You you haven't made a decision. You're going to think about it. I got to talk to this person. I got to resolve that issue, whatever it is. And the question is, what happens to the emotional altitude? It immediately begins to wane. And the more time that goes by without reconnecting to that emotional core, the more the customer becomes unmoored from their emotional altitude. And after a while, they just plain forget about you. And that is disastrous. And in my opinion, unforgivable. If you're a salesperson, a customer might eliminate you because you don't have what they want and and, and you're not gonna get all the sales, but a customer eliminating you because you just fell out of their mind, that's on you.
0: And so that was the
1: idea of sustaining that emotional altitude.
0: So when you look at, you know, because one of the things, I, you know, you say this, I say this, all the great sales traders say this, is that if follow-up isn't part of your process, it simply doesn't get done. So how do you make it part of your process? It's an obvious question, but why is it that most people don't do it?
1: Yeah. Well, I think that because they don't see follow-up the right way. They see follow-up as a chore that either this their CRM is telling them to do or their sales manager is telling them to do, but they, they don't really want to do. If it's something that was enjoyable, that was fun that you wanted to do, uh, then it, it would it, you gotta change your paradigm first. If you see this something that is laborious and pointless and all of that, you're never gonna do your best work even if you do make your follow-up calls. So the first thing you have to do is look at it and say, how do I change the paradigm? And to me, the paradigm of follow-up can be summed up in one word and that word is, Serve. How do I serve my customer? Not how do I annoy my customer. How do I serve my customer? If you're annoying your customer, you're doing it wrong. So, if I start with that perspective, a lot of salespeople are going to look at it and go, Oh, people don't want to hear from a salesperson calling and interrupting their dinner. And I would look at it this way uh, suppose you had a doctor's appointment, and in that doctor's appointment, you, you, you shared some things and said, Let's go, we're going to try this path. But the next day, your doctor called back during dinner. Okay? He's interrupting your dinner and said, you know what? I was looking at your file and I did a little research and I think there's an option you're going to want to consider over here that might be able to solve this problem a lot quicker than we had first thought. Okay. That, that's the idea. Who listening to this right now would look at it and go, well, I wouldn't want to talk to my doctor. I'm eating dinner for crying out loud. If your doctor is looking out for you, finding something that will improve your life and has a heart to serve, you're gonna take that call in a heartbeat and you're going to appreciate it. So if you think that follow-up is just about, hey, just checking in, see if I'm gonna get paid anytime soon, you're doing it wrong and you're wasting their time. But if you can look at it and say, here's a way I can improve my customer's life, that changes the paradigm, that makes you valuable and it makes you the person that they wanna to talk to. So,
0: so Jeff, I'm gonna take the salesperson side. I'm gonna sure. be on the salesperson side. I'm gonna blame my manager. Yeah, Do you know what I mean? I'm just going to blame the manager because you know what? Uh, I don't really know how to serve my clients. I don't have enough content. I don't really know what they want. Coach me. Talk me through that. Walk me off the ledge. Make me excited.
1: (laughs) So, yeah, well, first of all, you know, well, well, let's go a little deeper on that Victor set, mm-hmm. set this up a little bit more. Tell me about okay. that prospect Tell me what I do know. Do I know anything at all? Did this person come in off a web lead? What 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 do I know about
0: them? The person? person came in through a web lead They looked at okay. one of our videos marketing passed over this qualified lead and yeah. maybe they they gave us our email and they said We're, we're interested. Give us a call. Yes.
1: Okay, great. Good. Thank you okay. very much So let's start here uh, When we think about this, again, I know I sound like a broken record and I know you've heard it from Victor many, many times here, but you always begin by the customer experience. What is the customer going through? Once you understand their journey, you can reverse engineer your sales presentation to make it easy for them to do what they want to do anyway. So let's think about that customer who went online, saw a video, did a little investigation, then filled out the contact me page. Before we go any further, you had better understand the Herculean event that just took place right there. Marketers talk about something called a bounce off rate. It's the percentage of times we get to a contact me page and leave the page without filling it out. In the United States, the bounce off rate is right around 97%. That means only 3% of people who get to the contact me page actually fill out the contact me page. And so what do you know about those 3%? You know that they have a very strong need you know that you are absolutely in the running and you know that their emotional altitude is high at the moment that they fill out the page the, now, by the more way, time please, go ahead.
0: I, I was, I was going just say let, let's make sure we correct their mindset because sometimes salespeople will get that lead and they're cynical as hell and they as you're pointing out which i think is brilliant the herculean task yeah. to get the person there the three percent to get them there they've pretty much pre-qualified themselves if we can say it so you should be excited to get that lead not thinking, ah, they're probably not going Go to buy. Just look at it
1: from your perspective. Victor, how often do you bounce off that page?
0: Uh, probably about the same time, 97%. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So if you are going to fill it out, what does it mean to you? I'm interested. I'm very interested. I'm very more. interested. Yeah. yeah.
1: And I want to talk to somebody right now. I've done some research. I've done some homework. I'm not filling this out everywhere. I want to talk to somebody right now. So <laughs> you are absolutely right. And, I'm thank- and thank you for bringing up that point. You know that person who got to that page all you have to do is ask yourself well how do i respond (coughs) excuse me what do i do with that and if you're one of those people who regularly bounces off well your customer is no different all right so now from there if we've got that customer who just filled out that that web lead what's going to happen now the more time that goes by the more the emotional altitude begins to wane So why do we wanna be in touch with them quickly? Well, there are a couple of reasons. One, to catch them at the time of high emotional altitude. But two, when they fill out the contact me page, do they like you? And I would argue the answer is no. At best, they're neutral to you. You're a nobody to them at that point. So now that speed becomes even more critical because you can influence that conversation. Maybe this is gonna end with a process where you're gonna meet with them face to face at some point. But if you can get in there very, very quickly and let them know who you are right out of the gate, now you've caught them at a time of high emotional altitude and they get a sense of who you are. I've got a perfect example of this and this is very, very timely because it happened this weekend. I'm about to switch financial advisors, and if you're watching this and you're advanced, you're a financial advisor. By the time you see this, I've already made a decision. But I appreciate your your uh, <laughs> your first thought
0: right there. That's wait, good. wait, wait, wait to preempt that. <laughs> <Go>.
1: <laughs> So here's what happens, and this happened just this weekend. Uh, my wife listens to the Dave Ramsey podcast, right so she said, "Hey, Jeff, you know if we're looking for uh, for financial advisors, he's got this thing where you fill out a bunch of information and they send you five people in your area that might be good matches and I was skeptical about it and' we're like, okay, well, I don't know what else to do, so I'm going to go ahead and do that That's what I did immediately here's what I got i got a I got a text message now this is on the weekend here, so I didn't really expect a phone call, but i I got a text message from one particular guy thanks for the inquiry i'll be in touch very soon look for your email and i so that caused me to pop over to the email and the email had a little youtube link on it i clicked on the youtube and there was this guy just looking at it saying hey i just wanted you to be able to put a face to the name here my name is marshall uh i I, i'm away from my office right now but i really want to talk and by the way we do a lot of stuff videos so i think it's more efficient for you and really looking forward to getting to know you. That's it. That's the end of the conversation. Okay, so I got a text message, and now I've got that video, which allows me to see, this guy's not an idiot. He actually seems like a nice guy. Uh, um, you know, I, I'm connected now. So then what happens? Uh, on Monday morning at 8.20 a.m., I get a call from this guy. He calls me. Now, I don't recognize the number, so I don't answer. It goes to voicemail. Uh, I, I th- what happens next? I get a text message. It says, "Just left you a, a voicemail. Want to let you know I'm available all day if you want to chat." That's the idea. Okay. Now here we are, in less than you know the the uh, first two uh, that came in over the weekend. Now these two points of contact on money, four points of contact. Collectively, they sent me the list of five people that would be reaching out. Collectively, I've gotten three emails. They were all form emails from all of those others. This guy is so far the front runner that he would have to fall on his face. He's already lapped the competition and we haven't yet spoken. So the idea here of being able to beat everybody to the punch and get the inside track even before you have your first conversation is not nearly as hard as it used to be.
0: But okay, so, here's so the me, beautiful so thing. Me. No, no, go ahead, finish. I'm sorry. I'll
1: say just one last thing here. How much time has that guy invested? The initial text was automated. The initial email was automated. He made one phone call and sent one text message after the phone call. His entire time investment on me personally has been less than 30 seconds, and he is well in the lead.
0: I love that story. I was going to ask, what did the other two people just – they just sent the autoresponder email?
1: Says, here's how you get on. And, and by the way, it wasn't even the financial advisors themselves, it's somebody who works for them. Here's how you get on Michael's calendar. Click on this link and we'll be more than happy to do that, which is fine. I, that's okay. But it's generic. There's nothing about me, there's nothing personal in there. There was no direct outreach that said, I care about you. And look, I'm not going to sit here and suggest to you that I'm Bill Gates, but I have enough of a of of uh of a of a financial background and and wealth accumulation to say I'm probably somebody you want to talk to. Uh don't get me wrong, I'm not I'm not rolling in it, but I am a client you would want to have.
0: Right. What what I the reason I asked you about the what people did cuz it's always sometimes good to know what to do what people do wrong. Yes. And by yeah. sending somebody to a calendar is so impersonal. And this guy, out of curiosity, did the video have your name on it or was it a generic no. video? The,
1: so that came on on the weekend and he, he was very upfront with it. He said, it's the weekend, but I wanted to be able to let you know who I am. So it was fine. It was no problem whatsoever. I love the, that, but he
0: teated it up that way. He, he
1: teed, teed it up. up that way. And then I got the phone call first thing this morning, uh, which was personal, right? He was just calling me. It was not a robo call. By the
0: way, I did get one
1: robo. Call in there from one of these financial advisors who I've now taken off the list. If your version of follow up is a ro- is a recorded robocall, we're we're done before we started done. right here.
0: Yeah, but even yeah. even this 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 guy who's ahead of the game. Yeah, this process is fixed, right? Text, yeah. email, watch the video. Yeah, let him know I'm following up call yep. will be made, which he knows is going to go into voicemail almost sure. likely, right? Because nobody answers right. uh, numbers. And then he follows up with a text. That's yeah. the cadence he's got yes. down. And I, I, I just want to highlight that because a lot of people just get the lazy. Here's a calendar. Uh, here's what he'll be available. And they think that a secretary, male or female, sending you something makes them look bigger. There's a perception there that's raw. So that's a great example. Follow up. What else is in that book? Give me one more example before we wrap up here. Something that's give me some meat. Give me some meat, Jeff. Come on, man. Well, I'm loving this conversation, by the way.
1: When we look at that here. There are there are things that we can get deeper on with that example. First of all, I I think the two superpowers for sales professionals, speed and personalization. Uh, If you are fastest, and if you are personalized in your approach, those are the two things that are gonna get you to stand out more than anything else. Beyond that, the, the idea of creativity would be a third superpower. And the thing is, I, I think a lot of salespeople think, ah, oh, I'm not that creative. It doesn't take that much. But I'm gonna suggest you right now, video is where it's at. And it should not be cutting edge. I should not have to say this right now, but as long as people are refusing to get on the video train, this is going to continue to be cutting edge. Video is absolutely where it's at, and it doesn't take much. The opportunity to record a quick video, you don't have to be on it. You can be pointing it at your product and narrating at the same time. But video is where it's at. We are in a video age right now. Uh, if you just look at it, uh, at, at just a number of people who are now bought into video, whether that's because they've got grandkids and they know how to FaceTime, whether it's because you know they, they, they lived through a pandemic and they figured out how to Zoom, whatever it is, video is where it's at and yet it's still being massively underutilized in the sales process.
0: Yeah, I talked about it a lot. You and I can appreciate video cuz we probably remember way back when when you had the big VHS cameras you carried over here. Your... Now, totally. these, these phones are like HD. I mean, it's like yeah. amazing quality. Right. Yeah. And I think salespeople have a hard time getting out video. There's there's that hesitation of presentation. Yeah. So it's a comfort word. addiction, by the way, that's a comfort addiction. Oh, oh, oh there he is. He just nailed you yeah. with that one. That's what he it nailed is you with a comfort addiction, <laughs> not a comfort addiction, man. Give me, give me some wrap up notes here on the, sure. on the book here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, look, I, I would look at it from this perspective. You you can't do what everybody else does and think you're going to separate from the crowd. That That's just simply not the way it works. And you know, I, I've got uh you no, know, you can't see it right now, but I got a Jerry Rice football up here on the shelves behind me. And one of these Jerry Rice said is, I do the things that people are not willing to do in order to achieve things that they will never achieve. And I think follow-up is one of those types of opportunities. Too many salespeople look at it as a negative, as a pain in the butt, whatever it is. Uh, But you cannot separate yourself from the crowd if you're gonna simply do what everybody else does. It doesn't have to be laborious, it can be fun. But when you do that, again, here's this one financial advisor. I will be talking to one today. He is so far ahead of the field and we've not yet had a conversation. That's the goal now in this environment, how do we advance that sale as far as we can, even if we haven't yet met the person. And then if they said, we wanna think about it, then the key here, how do you sustain emotional altitude? That's the reason for follow-up is to sustain emotional altitude. The more time that goes by and the more impersonal your presentation is, the more that your customer is gonna become unmoored from that emotional altitude. And that's when you lose the sale.
0: I love that. And one of the things, again, I want to highlight that I liked about your book was there's some, if you don't know what to say or how to go about it, your book really kind of lays a lot of stuff out for people. Yeah. Uh, again, I told you how much I love that line about it. You know, I was thinking about your problem. And then yeah. I did some research, you know, that whole phrase, that fr- and I was like, brilliant. It was so simple and so powerful. Yeah. And yeah. so there's many things in there. So Jeff, where can they find out more about you?
1: Yeah, so the book is available on Amazon, and uh, everything else is at jeffshore.com. We put out a free Saturday morning five-minute sales training every Saturday morning, uh, and you can go to YouTube for that or sign up for it at jeffshore.com. But, yeah, you can get the book on Amazon.
0: So the book again is follow up and close the sale. Jeff mm-hmm. Shore, like I said, I've read two of his books now. Highly recommend her. Else, he wouldn't be on the show. Let's be honest about that. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm not going to invite. I'm not going to invite somebody whose stuff I don't like onto the show. But anyway, Jeff, thank you very much for being on the Sales Influence Podcast. I want to have you back again. We'll have to do this again somehow. Okay. So, but thank you let's, for being here. Let's do
1: it. Always oh, good to spend time with you, Victor. Pressure. All
0: right, and that's it for the Sales Influence Podcast. Don't forget to leave me some feedback on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Pandora, Spotify, wherever you can find me. And also check out the Sales Velocity Academy at salesvelocityacademy.com. 50 courses, over 500 videos. If you want to increase your sales velocity, salesvelocity.com. Lastly, I want to thank you for listening. This is Victor Antonio with Jeff Shore, always reminding you that selling ain't hard when you follow up and you know how. Take care.